0: This is Tracy Wilson Rossman and Shelly Pavone here, back for another episode of the Founding Women? Um, we've been having some really great guests uh, and some very varied topics, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy today's guest, Carleen Haley, as we talk about her journey and what she has been doing to prepare for doing these pitches. Um, But a little bit about Carleen. Um, She is a founder and CEO of Enriched HQ. It's a marketplace of educational and life skills building programs for school-age kids. Her mission as a single mother and professional is to provide solutions to help women, especially mothers, thrive in their work and home life. She spent 20-plus years in enterprise technology leadership, roles spanning development, sales, marketing, and product development to help global enterprises address their most pressing technical challenge challenges. Having trouble with the English language today. Um, so, Carlene, thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me. Excited to be here and share what I can share.
0: So first, you know, I gave a little bit about um, your background Um, But can you tell us a little bit more? And uh, what did you do before you founded Enriched HQ?
1: So uh, I am a single mother, as you mentioned before, and I have a a lovely 10-year-old boy, but I also do not have, uh, where I live, a nuclear family that I can rely on for all the care that I've needed throughout the years. I like to joke that you know, I've had to create this labyrinth of different things and a strong wind, if it ever came along, would completely fall apart. Because, you know, throughout his entire life, um, I've also been an enterprise sales rep in, for enterprise, um, technology into Fortune 1000 companies so it was highly stressful. There was lots of travel, last minute requirements that needed me to very quickly make sure that my son had you know, the care that he needed. And as he grew older, there were things that he wasn't learning in school that I really wanted him to engage in. Life skills building, um, things that would prepare him better. And of course, things that he was really interested in learning that he wasn't getting um, in school, and so finding those things on the internet um, and having to engage with various vendors and figure out a schedule and pricing and is is literally a nightmare. Um, and if, you know, any of the folks listening have kids or know folks with kids, they know it's a very stressful exercise to go through. Um, And so this is an idea that that I have carried with me because it's a problem that I struggled with for 10 years. And then I really just got to the right before the pandemic where it was one of those moments where it was, it, it was just enough. I'm sick of dealing with this. I'm, a technologist at heart. I know I can build it myself and I know I have this problem and every parent I know has this problem. I'm going to go and build it. So uh, just before the pandemic, I founded Enriched HQ and prior to that had spent, like I said, 20, like you mentioned, 20 some odd years in enterprise technology with the last 15 being in B2B sales.
2: That's a, uh, you know, a transition that's somewhat similar to mine. I spent most of my career in, in sales, B2B sales in the healthcare field. And I think um, it's a, a huge jump to start a company. But as you mentioned, this is something that you've been thinking about for a really long time. Can you dig in a little bit about Enriched HQ? You know, I, I love the concept here as a mother. And, you know, I think parenting through the pandemic gave everyone even additional challenges, but I I love the premise of Enriched HQ. Can you uh, tell the listeners a little bit more about it? uh, You know, exactly what does it provide and kind of the main problem that it's solving for parents?
1: Sure. One of the biggest challenges that I had and you had, and, you know, even before the pandemic is there's all this... We logically know that out there in the world, there are all these really amazing things and companies that are providing services uh, to support your kids. And we focus on kids that are grades four and up. And, you know, things that I wanted my child involved in to better prepare them to as they grow, right? Because everything we do for kids. I like to say day, uh, child care doesn't end when your children graduate from daycare. Everything that we do for kids all the way to the point when they, you know, leave the house and even after is in fact childcare. So, you know, finding those programs um, and as a, as a you know regular working everyday parent and going out into the internet and and sourcing these different um vendors and transaction and building a schedule is literally a nightmare so um what we do is our platform works with an exclusive set of content providers and these are educators and industry leaders who provide virtual programs for kids in a lot of different areas. And we bring those together on a single um, in a single hub or platform and give parents a one-stop shop to peruse and select and schedule and manage and pay for different activities um, that would support their children that they want them engaged in outside of what's happening in school.
0: That's amazing. It really is. And uh, I certainly am pro your message around <laughs> childcare does not end when, when your daycare ends. So um, tell us a little bit about what your startup journey has been like.
1: Well, it's, um, you know, as, as both of you, as, as startup founders yourselves, I, I I'll say this is aside from birthing a kid, this is the hardest <laughs> thing I've ever done in my life. Right. Yes. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I wake up every day and I think to myself, man, I get to do this, right. I get, I get to, solve this problem, not only for myself, but also for, you know, all of these families, particularly women who are struggling so mightily um, to support their children. And our clients are enterprise accounts who offer access to our platform to their employees as part of a, a enterprise program. And Um, Many of them are focused heavily on how do we better support women? How do we retain women? How do we elevate? And, you know, as women, we know that the caregiving responsibilities largely fall on our shoulders. So companies that put programs in place to elevate women are really finding that they also need to think about women who are mothers and how do they best support those women so that those opportunities for advancement don't get diminished because they're struggling balancing. And that's where we help those companies.
2: So when you when you got to that kind of breaking point that you were talking about, you know, whereas you were you're in the pandemic and you're thinking like this is enough, right? I've got to find something else. I mean I think that we talk a lot about startup and fundraising on this um, podcast, and I want to get to that part. But I think that sometimes there's there's a lot that goes on in between that, right? I mean, you have this idea and you decide, okay, I'm going to build a company. What is the first thing that you did? You know, was it was it market research? Was it focusing on the technical aspect of it. You know, I really would want to hear more about, you know, you, going from decision to kind of action.
1: So that that's a phenomenal question because sometimes, you know, myself included, I get analysis paralysis, right. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and one of the things that I'll tell you is I worked full time through February of 2021 at a enterprise sales job. And again, it was another enough moment where, you know, we were pandemic, I had was trying to be a third grade teacher, and really felt like I had to make that choice. I had to decide I wasn't doing anything. Well, I wasn't doing my job. Well, I wasn't being a mom. And, you know, my company was really getting traction. So, I had to make that choice as so many women do, and it's excruciatingly painful. And so, but prior to that, where I had really focused was, you know, I did a lot of market research and these came in the form of surveys out into folks that I knew and, you know, asked people to sort of pass them around and fill out a survey on whether something like this would be valuable to them. And then in conjunction with that, because we have a very exclusive ecosystem of activity partners, surveys around what sort of things and activities do you feel your child wants to learn, or you want to expose your child to like on our platform, There's we work with, um, you know, uh, some uh, companies that do financial learning for kids, things like budgeting and what is the investment market or an entrepreneur boot camp, you know, things that really build life skills. And so market research was huge. Certainly, you know, the census data market, ship market to define what the market is, all of those things that sort of validate from a data perspective that you're traveling down the right place. The second piece that I did is around technology is, you know, being a technologist, um, I have, you know, insight into you know, some technical, I quickly get over my skis, but I'm, I, you know, I have enough, but you know, what is the shortest distance between me and a viable product, right? Um, Selecting a platform that came off the shelf that I would eventually build to be a proprietary platform. But how do I get out of the gate with something that people can use and test as fast as I possibly can? So between that and the market, um, uh, research, those were the initial things that I, uh, focused on. And it all starts with, you know, what is the actual problem that you're solving? You know, the, the clarity around who are you helping and why are you doing it? And then, uh, going from there.
0: And, you know, I'm, I'm glad that Shelley asked this question because, Funding, of course, is important, um, but we also have to, you know, go back to the reason why we're going out for funding, which is what is the problem we're trying to solve? Um, and do we have a solution that, it, you know, is wanted for that particular problem? So I appreciate, you know, and, and what you just said was it's all very practical,
1: yeah, and it's, you know, I'm involved in tons of other founder groups, I've done accelerators and this and that, and it's not uncommon for, particularly around technical founders who are deeply technical, is to be building something that's looking for a problem. Does, does that make sense?
0: Yes, we see that all the time. yeah. But now we're going to get into the heart of the matter. <laughs> so when we were, um, you know, talking uh, about, you know, what you would talk about on on this podcast, you told me that you've pitched close to 200 VC and angels. And it does, I have to say, it does make me a little tired. Um, <laughs> and that sounds like a large number. Can you give us an idea how, how long
1: it It took you. Yeah, I mean, I I have been talking to folks that could potentially invest in the company since the beginning. So, you know, Tracy, you mentioned you're at the friends and family. Well, it starts there, right? You know, are you investing personally, and can people give you that within your network? You know, five thousand dollars, two thousand dollars, you know, whatever. Um, I initially started doing a a crowdsource and it's you know it works for some it didn't work for me it's a lot of work to do um, crowdfunding like that but that was where I started as well just friends and family Um, and then you know I I got to the point where I was at a pre-seed and needed a a larger influx of capital uh, to fund some programs that we were doing, you know, continued tech development and some marketing and awareness and branding and things. Um, And so I got involved in, a firm called Antler Global, early stage founder and residence accelerator, I think you might call it, but it's really for early stages. And so at the pre seed stage, I think that's the best route to go. And there's some big ones like Y Combinator and Techstars, and, which are really all very awesome, but there's tons of tons of them that focus on specific genres or markets that, you know, invest upfront, um, maybe a hundred thousand dollars, $50,000 and really give you the support that you need. So antler was our path to that. And that was sort of mid last year. And then, um, when we started thinking about okay, we're at that inflection point of growth within the company where we need a much larger, uh, we need to do some critical hires, we need to deliver some critical technical components to remain uh, ahead of the competition. Um, That's when I really started. And that started probably, you know, Q3 of last year. So I've been at it, what, what is that, six, nine months now?
2: Obviously a ton of of VCs to connect with and being kind of consistently in that fundraising mentality is difficult. And I don't know if you have the same experience, Carleen. but coming from an enterprise sales background, I had mistakenly assumed that pitching would be easier for me because in my mind I thought, well, it's like sales. Um, and what I discovered really quickly is that it's not, um, to me, the typical things I would highlight in a sales conversation were incredibly different for a conversation with a funder. And, uh, I got pretty exhausted after a while. Um, you know, I would love to hear more about those inflection points in your journey. Did you find that, Maybe pitching was easier for you because you come from a sales background. And, you know, I'm, I'm assuming that during points of this journey, right, <clears throat> I mean, it gets really difficult when you're constantly focused on pitching, when you really want to be focused on building your business and focus on the sales within your business. And so I would just love to know, you know, at what points did you ever feel like, this isn't worth it, or you know, at those moments where it got tough, like what really got you through?
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, very insightful. And my experience is the same: is fundraising is heavy lifting. There's just no two ways about it. And you know, Shelley, your background, folks, I always feel like folks that come from the sales world have a far easier time with this process than a non-sales or a technical founder. Um, Because while what you're saying and how you're delivering it and the key points that would resonate are in fact really different, so you're very right there, the process by which you manage that um, is very, very similar to running an enterprise sales campaign. Um, And so that piece of it has served me really, really well. It's no different in my eyes than building a sales pipeline and forecast, right? Um, and so I approached it in that way. And one of the things that I'll say is, you know, when people ask me about how, um, and, and let's, you know, just for all transparency, I'm, you know, I'm not God's gift to fundraising and nor have we raised the two and a half million dollars for our seed round. So it's not like, you know, I, I, I have, I have any great success to draw upon at this point, but the, the thing is, is, is just really, it's so important. And Shelly, this goes to what you say is know who you're talking to and what is driving them. And that's, I think, the big difference that you're highlighting between a sales cycle to sell your product versus sell your company. And the motivations are very, very different. Like, for example, this is a, 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 um, Enriched HQ for me is a passion project, right? I, I feel fundamentally driven by the fact that women, particularly mothers, need help. And corporate America, and you know the childcare industry have large, by and large, not done the best job in supporting women in being able to maintain and elevate their professional career, um, as well as support their family. So for me, that's a driving passion. Well, by and large, VCs don't really care about that, right? what they care about are the unit economics and the growth rate and the so forth and so on. So really understanding who it is you're talking to and the buttons that are going to, you know, the, that you need to push for them to write that check is absolutely imperative before you approach uh, that, that your mindset is in that because it's not about as you would in a tech sale, you know, how cool this gadget is, or, you know, what are the bells and whistles and all of those things. It's really about, I have to convince you enough that you're going to part with X hundred thousand dollars because you believe in me and my ability to execute on this vision in a market that's going to return 10X. Yeah,
2: (laughs) absolutely. And I think that initially, and that's, you know, definitely where I've heard of other founders going wrong, you know, myself as well, right? I'm very passionate about my mission and I focused on, on that, right. And how this was going to change things in the industry. And, you know, it's very much uh, a unit economics thing. And that's, and that's important to know. And I think that's really important for other founders to understand before they fundraise is the subject matter is different, right? You can run the process in a similar way as an enterprise sale, but you have to really think about what the individuals that you're pitching truly care about. And when it comes to any funder or VC, it's simply the return.
1: Yeah. And it doesn't mean you're absolutely correct. It doesn't mean that I'm less passionate about what I'm doing. It's about, I like to say eyes on the prize, right? What, what do I want to happen here? I want that VC to write me a check. So if I need to, you know, just to be cheeky, if I need to put on a monkey suit and dance around and, you know, whatever, if it means you're going to write me a check so that I can, you know, make my vision become reality, then I'm a hundred percent in for that. So how did you prepare for all these meetings? Yeah. And when you and I, Tracy, originally shared ideas about what I would talk about, there were three things that I um, shared with you that I thought the audience might benefit from. And um, the first really touches on this is you got to do your homework up front. Right. And, you know, you, you absolutely positively need, and it's heavy lifting But you need to spend the time to, A, get right in your head about what your message is and the problem you're solving and how you're going to make money and, you know, what your finances look like to get you to 100 million in five years, all of those things. But the second thing is, is who you're approaching, right? Um, Because, you know, and I wasn't so great at this in the beginning. It, it, It was more... Um, a spray and pray approach, right? Which is is never a good thing. And I knew that from sales and so my bad on me. But really investigating who are the firms within your space uh, who have uh, invested, uh, who know the market that you're going after and who are, actively funding companies, and that takes research, right? Um, And narrowing your list to target those. And then as you would with the sales cycle, go out into your network, to your advisor's network, to everybody you know, and find out if there's any connection. LinkedIn, you know, is there somebody that can introduce you into the firm that you're targeting Um, as a referral, um, and then build your prospect list that way. So that, that was the first, the second thing that I would say is, you know, it may not feel like it. Right. And, and, and there's a lot of getting kicked in the teeth and being told that you're wrong and, you know, mansplaining for God's sake. Um, but, you know, a lot of it is you really are in the driver's seat. And while these VCs or firms that you're targeting may know your industry or have invested in similar companies, none of them know the, the ins and outs of your business, right? The blood, sweat, and tears, the financial model that you can rattle off in your sleep. The, you know, none of them know that, and they're not going to get that from a 30-minute interim meeting with you. Um, so being able to show up with confidence because you deserve to be there, there was enough in what you submitted to them to pique their interest, to take a call with you. Um, and so, you know, whatever it takes to psych yourself up, I have, you know, I call them come to Jesus meetings where I talk to myself in the mirror, those types of things, you know, really Um, are important when you show up because at the pre-seed and the angel round folks are it's a high risk part of the journey and they're really looking at across the board what I've learned is they're looking at the founders is this someone that I can put my money behind that's going to be able to execute and execute successfully and then this is directly Shelly, you'll appreciate this because it's directly from sales is I view my number one outcome is qualify in or qualify out, right? My job is to qualify out, not in because every moment I spend with a VC that is not going to invest in me, I'm taking time away from somebody who's going to. And so that decision on your part and my part should happen very, very quickly. Like one meeting, possibly two meetings. And then, you know, and I work on this every day as we, you know, has been my career is don't belabor it, right? It's, it's a no, move on. There's thousands and thousands of firms It's just about finding the right one.
2: It can be easy to get caught up on your kind of dream funders, right? Or a specific VC that you really wanted to invest in your company and wanted to know. It can be hard to get past that. And I think that it's a really great perspective to have is that there are thousands out there. And there are you know, so many different funding sources as well. You don't have to go to VCs. uh, You don't even have to go to angels, right? There's non-dilutive funding options. There's other ways. Um, And I think that, you know, people that don't come from a sales background, right, they probably don't have quite the same ability to handle that rejection and to move on quickly. But I think that that's one of the most important things that we can make sure to continuously consider and remember is that if it's a no, just move on, let it go, and, and find the yes. And you're, you're much better off for it.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, and I'll add to your point about um, multiple types of funding. Um, you know, one of the things that we did that, that some um, founders out there might not know about and would find very useful is government grants, right? Um, so the um, there's a program called America's Seed um, that is over the course of two years is a $2 million research grant. Um, now we apply for it in all candor, we apply for it and did not get selected for the funding. Um, but if you, it's a, a, a huge, huge program, I think they invest $750 million a year in startup companies. Um, and that's a perfect path. It's non-diluted. It's, it's a grant. It's not funding, you know, in the traditional mechanism. Um, but there are other programs The department of education has a program. Um, so research in those particular areas and having some of those applications going simultaneously, you never know when something is going to hit and give you, you know, the two to three months of, you know, capital that you need to, to continue on your, your VC path, if that's the path you're going on. Yeah. And then one other thing, um, we just completed a program to the point but, you know, back to the point that there's thousands and thousands, we were selected to be part of, um, an accelerator, the accelerator word doesn't really fit here, but a program called launch, and it's run by, um, a very notable VC, Jason Calacanis. And, um, the whole premise of the program is it's 18 weeks and it's all about, um, uh, raising a pre-seed round. So that's the whole objective is getting companies ready. So they select a, a cohort of seven companies. I think they do it four times a year. Um, and every week for 15 weeks, you do a pitch your pitch to at least 15 venture firms, right? Um, And the reason I bring this up is because every single week I would get that list of 15 to 20 venture firms who were, who were showing up to listen to me, do my pitch. I would say of all of them throughout the entire program, I only had ever heard of maybe five of the firms. Mm -hmm. Um, So the, the, the ecosystem is far, far greater than I think, you know, most folks realize if they're active on Twitter or something like that.
2: That's absolutely the case. And I mean, again, so you're pitching, you know, 15 VCs every week. And one of the things that I had discovered when I was pitching is that the feedback that I got from individuals was incredibly variable, right? How did you... How did you kind of determine what feedback to keep and and what to toss out? Because you get a lot of conflicting viewpoints during that process. And I think that, you know, as someone who has experience pitching to, to 200 funders, you've got you've had to have gotten a lot of conflicting feedback and advice.
1: Yeah, well, you know, and then throw into the mix your first call with a with a, you know, a VC if they do choose to take your call is usually with an associate who's, mm-hmm. you know, doesn't know your industry, never started a company is, you know, this is their first job out of college sort of thing. You know, they don't. So, you know, you got to take it all for a grain of salt, I think. And, and, you know, it's, I like to think of it as unless you've walked a mile in my shoes, right. Right.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and we're having a conversation about how best to manage the messaging, Um, then I I hate to be crass, but it's like, okay, thank you. You know, I'll take that for what it's worth and then (laughs) put it in the bucket with everybody else. Um, And then I will decide what's best for my company, you know? The other thing I did um, as part of this launch program is they have a very prescribed, um, you only get three minutes to do your pitch, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's really, really hard to get all of the really important stuff into three minutes. It goes by really super quickly. Uh-huh. That was the benefit of doing this every single week, week over week is you ended up being forced to strip out all this sort of extra words you know you think about you take two words out you just gain two seconds right yeah um but i about halfway through hired a guy who is a script writer um and works a storyteller and works with Mm -hmm. Uh, He's in the film industry and and does all that, but he also works with startup firms, helping them write their pitch story and really getting involved in highlighting in as few as words as possible, the most impactful points. And that was a game changer for me. Right.
0: Yeah, I think we don't realize how much extra stuff we put in.
1: Yeah. I, and I am so verbose as you could probably tell I could go on forever.
2: Absolutely. I think that's a great, uh, that's a great tip as well to think about if you struggle with editing your own deck or again, you know, if you, if you're overly wordy, you know, look outside of even the industry to find someone to help you. It really is about telling a story and, Um, finding somebody who has the natural ability to take the inflection points of of what you're trying to communicate and put that into a nice, succinct story is great. And, you know, I think that's something that a lot of entrepreneurs don't think about, right? They think they have to do it all themselves, but you can bring somebody in to help you refine your story. You can help have someone help you build your deck, you know, design your deck. Um, It's really, I think, something that, is important to think about, like, how can you bring in others to help you? If it's something with you're struggling with, you know, as an entrepreneur, we have to make choices every day about where we spend our time. And, you know, if you're never going to get it to the point where somebody who has experience as a professional storyteller, then, you know, save the time and bring the right person in. So I think that's another really great piece of valuable advice here.
1: Yeah. And the, the other thing is, is, is about money, right? So this guy came as a referral from somebody that I knew. It just so happened that, you know, he also works with startups and he's a single parent, right? So it was just, it was a love match from the very beginning, right? But, you know, as as startup founders, we all have some money, a little bit, right? Um, some have more than others. But the way I look at it is, even with some of the technology stuff, you know i could spend x number of hours figuring it out right which would if my personal hourly cost is 125 bucks or whatever i'm better the, my time is better used landing clients than figuring out how to build a web page exactly. when i could pay somebody 15 bucks an hour as a freelancer to do that for me in an hour and a half, right? So, you know, there's so, to your point, there's so many things that have to get done. And I am absolutely religious about every single day, sitting down and saying, what is the absolute most urgent thing that has to get done today? Come hell or high wire, you're not allowed to leave your chair until it's done. And everything else either gets delegated or waits. That's really hard. It is <laughs> super hard. But otherwise, you lose your mind, right? Exactly.
2: Absolutely. And I think, you know, we spend a lot of time trying to learn something as entrepreneurs that we'll never master, too. Right. And so, you know, thinking about it that way, it's like, how can you outsource this so that you can spend time doing what you're really good at? And, right. you know, in your case, obviously, that's, that's focusing on the sales. Right. So.
1: Yeah, and the more the more the more everyone is swimming their lane, right? For me it's sales, right? If mm-hmm. I can it, the 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 onboarding of a new customer who is paying me alleviates my dependency on driving VC funds. It's all connected, right? Revenue fixes everything, right? right. And so is not my time better spent you know, focusing on that, as well as the fundraising piece, and having somebody else do these tasks that I would have to learn from scratch.
2: You know, again, Carleen, you've given us so many just wonderful pieces of of structured and practical advice, and I think there are topics that we covered today that we haven't yet touched on, and and that's why you know I love the variability and the guests that we've had on this podcast because we just continue to kind of peel back the layers and and talk about different aspects of company building and fundraising. And I take a lot away from it. And I hope that that everyone that listens does as well. Um, One thing that we like to ask all of our guests um, at the end of the the podcast is uh, what are you reading, watching or or listening to right now that's, you know, either advancing what you're doing with your entrepreneurship or helping you escape?
1: Well, the escape one I'll do do first cuz it's easiest. I am not a person that's going to work 24 hours a day. I don't even work at night. There's yeah. because I'm a single mother, it's, you know, I liken it to one light switch has to go off for the other one to go on. So mm-hmm. I'm either working or I'm momming, right? Um, so come 5.30, 6 o'clock, work light is off um, and mom light is on. And so from the escape perspective, it's, you know, I just, aside from doing things with my son, I'm watching this really awesome, um series on i think it's on hulu called the bear I don't know oh yeah
0: that show <laughs> I said, yeah.
1: So and then good. the other one that i'm sort of switching between is that and what is it called blackbird black yeah that one's I'm, awesome super I haven't awesome seen that one yet
2: i'm gonna put it on
1: the list put it on your list yeah so that's my escape um and then growth is it's funny you should ask this because it's a big struggle that I'm having right now is um, marketing. My life has been in technology. I've done some marketing stuff, but it's all been B2B. Um, All of our clients are coming from my personal network and, and those around me. So I'm not doing a whole lot of B2B marketing, but in our model um, it's really B2B to C and I need, In order to get product market fit, I have to engage the end user, which is the employee, which requires B2C marketing, which I know zero about, zero. Um, So from a learning perspective, I'm reading a new book, which is turning out to be really awesome. It's called Digital Marketing Strategy. Uh, happy to share the links with you so you can share it with the group. That'd be um, great. It's just really all about, you know, how to think about an overarching um, digital strategy channels and so forth. And there's another book. Um, it's not new. It's called. Impact is in the title, but it's something about explosive growth. Maybe I have it here. No, no, explosive group there is a book called impact that's out with a black cover that's not it this one has sort of a yellow cover but what it talks about is you know there are 19 channels and only 19 channels that you can market to and it's a program that they have that you follow that helps you narrow down what you believe is the most would be the most impactful channel and Mm -hmm. as a startup Investing very small dollar values um, for a month, two months to test a particular channel um, or campaign and then being able to assess it via the analytics and either continue or change. And so that has been immensely helpful to me.
2: Excellent. I, I like that. Thank you. Thank you so much um, again, Carlene Haylet for coming on. Um, the podcast today. And I would recommend to, to everyone if you have kids, if you have nieces, nephews, if you have friends with kids, please check out Enriched HQ. Um, so many just interesting opportunities for online learning um, and, and even in person types of things. And, you know, I think this is something that's just incredibly useful and valuable. I can't wait to dig in and um and Carleen, um we can't wait to to continue to follow along on your journey with this company
1: yeah and thank you to you both for for doing these podcasts i think it's a lonely journey right for a founder and you many many times as you both know you're you just you want to curl up and cry, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. it's helpful to know that everyone else has also wanted to curl up and cry at some point. Exactly. But I know.
1: Somehow it's, we all make at it. At the through. very, at the very least, it's cathartic,
0: isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. It is, Carlene. Thanks for uh, your time, and Shelly, okay. as always. Thank you.
1: Yep. All That's right. Next I time. know.